0: I was wondering, what is your favorite Christmas movie? How, how many of you like The Grinch? How many of you like The Grinch? Okay, a few. You're not very enthusiastic about it, but you like it. Uh, how many of you like Home Alone? You like some of you. Okay, a little bit more. Uh, how many of you like The Christmas Story? Red Ryder, BB Gun, all that? Yeah. W- one of my favorites, honestly, is Christmas Vacation. Have you seen Christmas Vacation? You too. That's awesome. One of the things I love is is not only the humor, but there's this scene I was thinking about where Clark Griswold, the dad, gets stuck in the attic. And as he's in the attic, he's moving around and he gets hit by some boards. But he he finds up on a shelf an old Christmas present that was forgotten. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, I, I think a lot of us in the Christmas season and just in life, even as Christ followers, There may be some gifts that God has for us that we've just forgotten. They're available, and and they're just sort of sitting there, and we have access to it, but we just kind of don't even realize it, that it's it's there, it's available. I think the unique thing about Christmas, and by the way, can you believe we're talking about Christmas? Like, doesn't it feel like it was just last Christmas? And, and, And let me tell you a secret. The older you get, the faster they come. I mean, it is crazy, the pace of life but it's Christmas. And the moment I say that word Christmas, what what goes through your mind? Busy. We're busy. It's a little bit of a stepped up pace. Some of you, some of you, the, the crazy ones, you went shopping on Friday. Like you don't know there's an internet and you can hit click and it shows up at your house. So you go to the stores and you fight with people and that's awesome but but there's a busyness because we, we've got more to accomplish with less time, more to purchase with less money. There, there are things we want to try to get done. It, it is Christmas. And if you're a parent, a lot of parents, you, you have this mentality, of, man, you you want to do for your kids, which is a good thing. You want them to have a good Christmas. And so whatever's on the list, you're, you're trying to make that happen. There's just an insane pace. But isn't it crazy that while we think about All of that, and we we think maybe about a baby in a manger and shepherds and some animals, I wonder if there's a gift at Christmas that's always been available that we've never really unpacked. It, It feels like we're so familiar with it that we don't really know it at all. We know so much about it, and yet we often experience very little of Christmas in its truest form. So this morning, I want to go back Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet about 800 years before Jesus was born. And in a prophetic way, because he was inspired by the Spirit of God, he speaks these words, and they're written down, they're recorded in history, and so he's speaking of what is to come, and it's the Christmas message. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness... A light has dawned. Then he goes into that famous verse For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. But I want to go back to verse 2. Back to verse 2, because in verse 2, he says, The people walking in darkness. What does that mean? I think we have to think about the context of when these words were spoken and first written. I think we have to, to understand what was happening in culture, in society. The Jewish people had been in prison, enslaved, in captivity for 400 years. There's a unique kind of darkness that they they are walking in. They have been living in captivity. There's not a single day of the week, not a single moment of a day that is entirely theirs to do whatever they want. They are living as slaves in Egypt, they're walking in darkness. And I think there's a kind of darkness that you and I often walk in. And it's beyond a physical darkness. Like, I don't know about you, but h- how many of you this time change has kind of messed you up? Like, it gets dark so much earlier. I'll get in from the office, and I'll do a couple things, and I'll, I'll look at Angie's getting dark. And I'm like, it's time to go to bed. And I look at my watch, and it's 6.05, 6.05. Has it happened to you? There's something about darkness. And if you, you can Google this. If you study darkness, people that live in climates where there's less sun, Deal with greater levels of depression and discouragement. There's something about sunlight that we need. In fact, Angie and I have some very close friends that live in Nashville, and they came down a couple weekends ago to hopefully see the sun, and it, it was pretty cloudy for two or three days in Orlando. I felt terrible. So I told them they should come back this week. It's going to be pretty sunny. But, but there's something about darkness. It affects us. And you, can, you even can get to an age where, with darkness, you go into a restaurant, and they bring the menu, and you have to use the flashlight on your phone. If that hasn't hit you yet, it's coming. It's coming like a Mack truck. Because darkness, what does darkness do? It it reduces clarity. Darkness makes it hard to see. But the greatest darkness that you and I ever deal with is not physical darkness, it's spiritual darkness. It's one thing to not be able to see my next step across the back porch late at night. It's another thing to not be able to see my next step spiritually in the momentum of my life. And just like physical darkness can bring depression and discouragement, and we don't want it, we want some light, we crave light. In the same way, spiritually, you can get so used to living in darkness that you feel like it's a kind of solitary confinement in which your soul has been placed and you're just existing there. These people understood walking in darkness. They understood being enslaved to something. And while you and I physically... Enjoy great freedom, spiritually. Are you enslaved? Are are you in captivity at a soul level? Are you stuck in life like that? You can do what you want physically, but they're real you. It doesn't matter what you plan for tomorrow, or what your hopes or dreams are, you, you, are you, you look at the story of your life, you look at the history of your existence and what you've walked through and where you're going, and, and, and you're beginning to have that dawning and sort of a darkness that my life is not going to look anything like I hoped it would. And you're, you're held in a kind of captivity. Some people live in a spiritual darkness of the captivity of their own choices and their past. Some of you are still in prison to what you used to do and who you used to be. You still define yourself by your worst mistake. And you don't know how to move past it. You're you're stuck. And it's interesting to me that the prophet talks about walking in darkness, and then he brings it up again in a land of deep darkness. Darkness. This is not shallow darkness. This is not fading darkness. This is not, oh, I'm having a bad day. There is a depth of darkness that you and I can live in, even spiritually speaking, that brings about a kind of hopelessness and removes all clarity of how to get out of it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Christmas is about light. It's part of the reason we put lights on trees and lights on houses and lights on wreaths. It's about a light that came into the world, and light brings clarity. So he continues, for to us, a child is born to us. That's to you and to me. Now, what that means is whether you're walking in darkness or deep darkness, it's available to you as well. It's available to me as well. Sometimes we have this idea that Jesus coming to earth is for for the good people, or it's for the religious people, or it's for, the, it's for the people that somehow probably matter to God because it's very easy to feel like you don't. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that God had favorites and you're just not one of them? And so sometimes I think the busyness is almost a, a chosen distraction from the reality that to consider the deeper meaning of Christmas is more difficult because while it is the happiest time of the year for many and for many they would say it's their their favorite holiday for others christmas represents deep pain it's the happiest time of the year but it's also the saddest time of the year there's a chair at the table for christmas dinner that will be empty this year your life for some of you looks nothing like it did 12 months ago and you You had no idea it was coming. But this says, "For to us, you, me, all of us, no exceptions, a child is born, and the birth of this child has the ability to have a profound impact in your life and mine. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor." Now that's fascinating. That's fascinating to me because in verse two, Isaiah says, "Hey." You're walking in a kind of darkness, and he goes further and says, Some people are walking in deep darkness, and then when he moves into this, describing the child that is born, the the first description, the first name he addresses is Wonderful Counselor. Because when you're in darkness and I'm in darkness, that's what we need. We need somebody that can come alongside and speak wisdom into where we are and help us discover hope and help us discern how we navigate where we are and it's so easy to get stuck in darkness I remember when the kids were little if I got up at night and tried to walk through the family room to go to the kitchen and the lights are off have you have you ever stepped on a lego straight from hell the the pain of that moment and listen I remember if I would step on a lego you know what I did I stopped Because if I take another step, there might be another Lego. And and there's a tendency when when it's dark and we don't have clarity just to stop. And I've met a whole lot of people in life that have just stopped and sat down and given up. Because of darkness. But the ability for a child to be born that would be a wonderful counselor. That that would bring to us wisdom about how to navigate and bring some, some light into a very dark situation. Mighty God. There is nothing you and I will ever face that is more powerful than the God that lives inside us. And there is no temptation you and I will ever navigate that is bigger than the Jesus that lives inside us. Mighty God, everlasting Father, He knows no end, Prince of Peace. And isn't that the one thing we would love to have every single moment of every single day more than anything else, just peace. We crave peace in our relationships. Wouldn't peace in our parenting be nice? Because, see, one of the things that our kids don't know is as parents, we have more questions than answers. Like, we're we're, we're doing our dead level best, fully aware that we're not getting it all right. Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't it be amazing to have a kind of peace in our parenting and a kind of confidence, not because we're good, but because God is great and he's our wonderful counselor and he's a mighty God and he's an everlasting father that's providing peace even in a difficult season and and the clouds may be rolling in and it may be a little bit dark, but there's some light. There's a sun that is shining inside me, giving me that wisdom. He says of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I want to ask you a question. As we think about Christmas, December the 1st, December the 1st, 2019, have you lost the wonder of Christmas? How special is Christmas to you? And if it's special... Why is it special? There are special things we do. We're going to see people that we don't get to see very often. Many of you will travel to family or you'll have family come to you. And most of them you like. Most of them you look forward to seeing. (laughs) There are a couple that you deal with and you strategically place their seat far away from yours at the table. But there's some special things. But, But beyond all that, at a soul level, deep down inside, If you're in a season of darkness or deep darkness, there is a light that is available to you. It's a light that brings clarity, not just to where you are, but to who you are. And you and I have the opportunity in this season to help other people experience that. We experience the meaning of Christmas the most when we help others experience the meaning of Christmas. Luke tells us in the Gospel of Luke, that this is fascinating to me. I only saw this recently and started kind of processing and thinking about this, and I I just want to share it with you this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the announcement of the birth of Jesus, that's what we're reading. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, you know one of the things I think we love? I think we love receiving good news. Like if you find out, hey, you're getting a bonus this year, (laughs) that's good news. If you do your taxes, hey, you're getting some money back this year. That's good news. It's really weird. We get excited about it, but it's your money to begin with. Different subject. But, but hey, you got the job. Hey, you made the grade. Hey, you got into the school. We, we, love, we love hearing good news. But do you know what's just as good as receiving good news? Giving good news. Man, I love giving good news. In fact, in our home, I have a hard time keeping secrets. and tonight. You know, over the years, we've been married over 30 years, and, and, and in that time, the early years, for years and years and years, I don't remember how many years it was before we finally got to a Christmas where she was getting her presents on Christmas Day. She always got them early. Because, like, this first week of December, hey, babe, uh, is it okay if I, I, I just want to, there's something I got, I kind of want to give it to you, I don't want to wait. And, and it got to the point where she'd say, let's wait for Christmas. And that drove me nuts. And I, I, um, we can, but. You might want to use it on that day, so you may want to, or you might want to wear it. On that, like, you, you, I mean, don't you think, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> I would just try, because I, I, I love giving good news. I love that. Man, the look on our kids' faces when we tell them something good, or, or our grandkids, you know what that's like? We love bringing good news. Hey, the same thing is true. Not only do we love receiving good news, we love bringing good news, and there's some really good news that God has placed you strategically in relationship with some people that need to hear it, that God has placed me strategically in relationships with some people that need to hear it. Now, notice what happens. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. It's the gospel. It's the story of God sending Jesus to earth to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin because we have all sinned. We are all messed up. We're all broken. And God did not send Jesus to kind of put us back together as best he can. God sent Jesus to make us new. The Bible says we become a new creation in a relationship with Christ. Because we're enslaved to sin, to addiction, to thought patterns to what we believe about God and what we believe about people and what we believe about ourselves. You've sinned and I've sinned. And I think part of the reason the good news sometimes doesn't seem that good is because we don't think we're that bad. Did you know if you'd been the only person alive, Jesus would still have had to die on the cross? Like, it, it, it wasn't just the Nazis and that philosophy that murdered Jesus. It was my sin and your sin. And, and we have this way of categorizing people in life. And isn't it interesting, if, if there's an issue that there are two sides to, isn't it interesting that we're always the good people? The people that disagree with us are wrong. The people that vote differently are wrong. The people that think differently are wrong. We're always right. We're, we're the good people. Man, I'm glad Jesus died for you. Oh, oh, that person. They're, they're really lost. They're really lost. Like there are different levels of not knowing God. Not knowing God is not knowing God. And, and we don't really like to consider the reality that I, I am apart from Christ, I am a slave to the sin in my life. You have certain tendencies, and I have certain tendencies. You have, you, you have a, 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 a default position in your life, and I have it in mine, and, and we have sin in our lives. Sometimes I hear people, and they say, I, I think people are, are overwhelmingly good. I don't. I don't. I think all of us have good in us, but all of us have a whole lot of bad that we just don't like to talk about. We are capable of anything given the, given the right circumstances. The people who murdered people in concentration camps, they went home and were nice to their children. People who treat some people horribly, the people that they like, they love and they're very kind. There's a documentary on Netflix that I watched recently about a guy in Ohio that was accused of being Ivan the Terrible, who was uh, the individual that ran a death camp in the Nazi army. He ran the machine that would gas thousands and thousands and thousands of people from the Ukraine, and he he was living in Cleveland, Ohio, and somebody recognized him, so he went on trial, and they were trying to find out, is this Ivan the Terrible? And I won't tell you what happened in case you ever want to watch that documentary, but here's what was fascinating to me. In the trial when they flew him back to Israel, in the trial there, they brought survivors from the concentration camps, and a few of them gave testimony, and they looked in his face, and they said, that's him. You know what struck me? Everybody that lived around him now in Cleveland, Ohio, you know what they said? There's no way it could be him. He's so kind. He's so nice. The way he loves his kids. He's always been a dependable, hard worker. There's no way it's him. All of us have, sin in our lives, all of us have those dark areas. And Jesus, he didn't die on a cross just to make us nice. He died to make us new. He, dry, he died and rose again to bring a permanent change to your life and mine. And, and so do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There are no exceptions. Once you understand this news, that, that knowing God in a personal way, having a personal connection with a heavenly father, a God who invites us to call him father, And what does a father do? A good father. Now, maybe when I use that word for some of you, it brings up some memories that are not that great. Imagine a perfect father. That's who I'm talking about. A heavenly father, what does a heavenly father do? Especially in the difficult moments, even in the dark moments, a father, a good father takes the hand of his child and navigates and helps them lead them through those dark moments, is always loving and always caring and always there to help navigate any moment in life. And so it's good news that will cause great joy for all the people because that is available to you and to me. There are no exceptions. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to who? To you. He is the Messiah, of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts, it was other angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know what's fascinating to me about that passage? When Jesus is born, the angels come to earth and they declare it. They've never done that again. Like every year on Jesus' birthday, they don't care. Come on, guys. Let's go to earth. Let's sing happy birthday, everybody. Come on. It's Jesus' birthday. They did it one time. They brought the good news. They shared the good news. They did it one time. Why have they not done it again? Because they've left that up to you and me. You and I are the people that walk into the fields of people's lives when they're walking in darkness, some of them deep darkness, and can bring some really good news. You like getting good news, but what if in this season we focused on sharing good news? Peter said it this way, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look in these things, into these things. Can you imagine being an angel? Can you imagine the first Christmas being an angel? I mean, you've, you've seen history. You've seen what's happened. You saw how sin entered the world. You saw how sin is breaking people's lives and breaking people's hearts. You saw the devastation. You're you're watching it unfold, and you see the flood, and you see Noah, and you watch all these things happen. You've noticed the children of Israel in captivity in in Egypt for 400 years. You're, You're seeing the effects of sin, the devastating effects of the choices that people make. Can you imagine being an angel when God says, okay, Jesus is going to earth. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to live a perfect life. He's he's going to die for sin. Three days later, he's going to get up. We're going to do this whole thing just so people can be restored to me. Can you imagine when God looks at you, you're an angel, and says, okay, I want you to go tell people that's what I'm going to do. Can you imagine being the angel when you go and you share with the shepherds out in the field, the lowest in society? It's interesting, when God was going to speak first about the birth of a Savior, he goes to those that nobody else would ever want to go to. And, he said, and being the angel saying, hey, guess what? Here's what God's doing. A Savior is born to you. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to be able to share such good news? Oh, I think we need to imagine because you and I have the opportunity every single day to bring good news to people that live in a culture of bad news. We have the opportunity to bring hope into a hopeless society. We have the opportunity to bring something not in a religious, obnoxious way. Have you ever known an obnoxious religious person? <laughs> Nobody else? Just me? Wow. Wow. No, in a way that we understand we are not better than anybody, and every single person we lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. It's not my job to ask you to live like me. I'm just a guy. I'm in the same journey that you're in. It's my responsibility to, not not, not to point you to me, but to point us to Jesus and and to say, hey, we have an opportunity to love him and serve him. And, And one of the greatest ways, how do we love God? You can't wake up in the morning and wrap your arms around God and give him a hug. How do we love God? Tangibly, day by day, how do we love God? We love God by loving people because God loves people. When you love my kids, I love you. So we have an opportunity to share the good news, the same news the angels shared, and they're not coming back. They're they're not going to show up at Timber Creek on December 25th, early in the morning, and start singing about the birth of Jesus. They're not going to show up anywhere in this country or in another country to proclaim and sing as a choir and chant about the goodness of God. It's now up to us. So we have 23 days to make the most of one day. Today is December 1st. And on December 23rd, we have our two Christmas services that evening, and they're going to be incredible. Like, I, I know what's planned. They're going to be, if you've ever been to Christmas or Easter at C3, it is un-freaking real. No G, just in apostrophe un real. You don't want to miss it. You say, well, wait, this is the first, tomorrow's the second. Yeah, you've got the rest of today. You could invite somebody today. You, you've, you've got, we've got 23 days to make the most of one day, so I want to encourage you to be praying. Hey, that coworker. If you pay attention to the people around you, we we know some of the people that are walking in darkness. Some people are very good at hiding it, but there are indicators: people that are often angry, people that are hostile, people that are cynical and negative, people that don't treat people, other people very well. They're indicators. And in following Jesus. I think we have not just a responsibility, but an opportunity to pray for people. How would the lives of people that you and I know change if we prayed for them daily? I mean, have you ever done that? Have you you ever taken 23 days and and prayed for somebody by name? Have Have you ever done that? How would your life and my life change if we did that? How much more would we love people? How much more compassion would we have? How much more concern would we show? And and prayer is the thing that somehow moves the hand of God. So who are the people that you can invite? And before you invite them, before you talk to them about coming to C3, talk to God about them. Who can we be praying for? Who's in your life that works with you, that lives on your street, that's in your extended family? Who do you know, who do I know that we could be inviting? And before we invite, we need to pray. Let's pray and then share. Let's pray and then share. Seven out of 10 people that you invite in the United States to come to a Christmas service will say yes. Seven out of 10. But let me give you kind of a twist on it. Don't just invite that, that, that coworker or that neighbor or, or that business associate. The, the people that you know that you want to invite, man, what if you and I pray the high-risk prayer of saying, okay, God, I, I want you to just lay on my heart the names of people you want me to invite, and, I, and we begin praying for them by name every day, and then we look for strategic opportunities, and, and you don't walk up to them and say, hey, you know you're an idiot. You should probably go to church. Like that, That's not the way we roll. That's not how we do it. What if you said something like, hey, I, I don't know if you have plans, but December 23rd, my church is having a special Christmas service And I love my church. I think you would, too. I wanted to know if if you'd be willing to just try it once and come and sit with me. Invite them to sit with you because life is about relationships. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what God would do. And I wonder 100 years from now, who would be spending eternity forever with a holy God and with you just because you cared? Because you took the time, 23 days, to make the most of one day, and you prayed for people and you shared with people. The angels aren't coming to sing. And nobody's asking me to sing. And I'm not asking some of you to sing, but we can share the good news, the gospel. We have an opportunity in this season. So who is... I'm going to ask you this question. In your mind, where you work, who's the worst person you know? Years ago, I don't think I've ever told this story. Years ago, we were already meeting here at Timber Creek just a few years ago, and there was a family that we met, and I told Angel, I mean, I, I love inviting people because I, I believe in this. Like, I'm going to tell you a secret. If y'all didn't pay me, I'd still come and do this. <laughs> I mean, I, I love to do what, what I get to do. I love getting a front row seat to life change and what happens in people's lives, and, and so I, I love inviting, but the weird thing is when I invite people, they view me as kind of a paid salesman. Of course you'd say that, you're the pastor, but I I still do it. Did you know your invitation has more credibility than mine? People assume I'm supposed to do this, but when you invite, what possible motivation could there be other than it must be real? And there was this family, and I remember saying to Angie, I don't know if I'm going to invite him because he will never come. Have you ever written anybody off? Man, I'm ashamed to say I have. God really convicted me and we began to have some conversations and almost every single week now, that family is now part of C3. Because there's nobody that is too far from the grace of God. There's nobody that isn't loved by God. And there's nobody that God can't draw and change their life even if they're stubborn or don't think they need him. I want to encourage you. Let's be praying. Let's be inviting. And let's watch what God does in other people's lives and in our own. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the incredible opportunity we have to truly love, to put action to what we say we believe. So I pray that as we roll through the next 22 days after today, but 23 days counting today, that you would help us as Colossian teaches us to make the most of every opportunity. You would help us to be inviting machines, praying for people and inviting people, sharing the good news of your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for that grace and mercy that absolutely changed my life. I thank you for those in this room that have experienced your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. May we be ambassadors for you in the lives of the people that you've placed us strategically in relationship with. Heads about bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that the greatest need you have, maybe you're walking in darkness, maybe deep darkness, the greatest need that you have is a spiritual need, and that is to know God in a personal way. If that's where you are, I, I'd love to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. A prayer to commit your life to Christ today. A prayer to ask God to forgive your sin. It's a prayer that God promises to answer every single time. So if that's where you are, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ today, just pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. But just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. Help me to live for you. Jesus, as best I know how, I surrender my life to you today. In Christ's name, amen.